Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. We're going to talk today about uh, the fear of change, and I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. And while you're turning there, I would like to encourage any of you, let me just ask this question. How many of you have either an iPhone or a Droid? Would you raise your hand? An I, it's not a trick question. An iPhone or a Droid? All right. Thank you. I encourage you to download our church app. Um, and to be honest with you, I won't be upset with you if you do it uh, during the service today. We have wireless here in the auditorium. Download our church app. How many of you brought a, uh, an iPad to the service with you or some other? All right. I encourage you <clears throat> to... Uh, if you have an iPad, to download the app. If you have another device, uh, to follow the directions on the Sunday card and follow along in the service. But I would really encourage everyone who has a, an iPhone or a Droid to have one of your apps as North Florida Baptist uh, Church. <clears throat> the title of the message, The Fear of Change. In Australia, the unofficial slogan, <clears throat> excuse me, in Australia, the unofficial slogan for the country is no worries. <clears throat> no worries, mate, is uh, another way. Is another way that they express it. New Zealanders or <clears throat> or Kiwis also use that uh, terminology of no worries. Another thing that they say is she'll be right, and again, <clears throat> it means about the same thing. Don't worry about it. These two sayings are ways of <clears throat> verbalizing the relaxed nature of Australia and I suppose New Zealand. It's the most <clears throat> common phrase in the Australian uh, vocabulary. It would be like, no way. Uh, and, and various things go through, you know, uh, our vocabulary from time to time. Uh, I think it's stopped now, but for a long time, when you would say something that surprised someone, they'd say, shut up, and uh, <clears throat> those kinds of things. How many of you still say that, would you? Okay, yeah, <clears throat> there are a few of you. Um, but uh, no worries is one of those uh, phrases. And it can be used in a lot of different, um, a lot of different uh, venues. If somebody is it's just a casual response, no worries, that's okay. Or it could be a, some really serious thing like we just discussed regarding uh, Susie's father. And, and we would say, um, we know that uh, God's hand is in charge, no worries. And, uh, and that kind of thing. That's the way that they use the terminology. Well, as we begin a new year, I want to bring to you four messages to address concerns that you might have about 2014 or that you may have in your life. These are four fears from which we hope uh, we will gain no worries. Financial fear, uh, the fear of being alone, the fear of death, and then today's message, the fear of change. None of us should have fears in our lives. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we should fear or worry about nothing. The Australian attitude is like the encouragement of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4 and verse 6. <clears throat> Do not <clears throat> be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, where will we go in the Word of God to find an example of people who had needless fear? people who shouldn't have feared that which they did fear. Well, we go to Luke chapter 8, and we see that there's a man's life who is drastically changed after his encounter with Jesus. 
And because of the <clears throat> drastic change of his life, those people who should have had no worries had a great deal of fear. This is a rather long text, if you'll bear with me, please. <clears throat> then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, <clears throat> which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Now let me just stop right there and tell you that that is exactly what it sounds like right there. It was like <clears throat> if you went to um, Cully's Meadowwood and uh, you saw uh, someone running from uh, grave to grave there naked, uh, and they hid back in the trees at night or when people were around. That's the kind of person <clears throat> that this man was. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had, <clears throat> for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down to the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Now look at this. And they were afraid. Interesting. <clears throat> um, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasene asked him <clears throat> to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got out of the boat and returned, and the man from the, uh, whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole country how much Jesus had done for him. Now isn't this a, a great story of the power of and the presence of Jesus Christ. This man so filled with demons that we usually would call him a, a demoniac, that's what we refer to him as, he's completely cleansed of all sins and he had all of the demons chased out of his body. He was drastically changed. The Bible said that this man who was naked and <clears throat> ran through the graveyard and the cemetery and all of that, after his encounter with Jesus, they said he was clothed and in his right mind. So drastic was the change that people around him were struck with fear. And to that end, let's kind of 
walk into this uh, passage a little bit and talk about the old normal. Everybody has an old normal in their life. We tend to get used to the circumstances that we're in. Uh, if we lived up north, we get used to the cold. And down south, we get used to the heat. We move to <clears throat> bigger houses and wonder how in the world we ever got along in such a small house before. Or <clears throat> we downsize, and in our downsizing, we think to ourselves after a while, why did I ever need such a big house to start with? We have this, this way of adapting to the old normal, regardless really of what the old normal may be. Sometimes the old normal are just crazy situations. That's the way it was for this demoniac in this place. It was just a crazy situation. Have you ever wondered why battered women, battered women stayed or stay in those harsh conditions? Some of you may have been, maybe still are, I don't know, a battered woman. <clears throat> Do you ever think about those who continue to make bad decisions and they never find a way to begin making <clears throat> good decisions? Now, I'm going to say something and I'm going to start with a disclaimer. <clears throat> I know that I shouldn't watch this. I know that I shouldn't. So you don't have to come up and tell me later, Pastor Ray, you shouldn't watch this. Those of you who see this on television do not have to write me and say, Pastor Ray, you shouldn't watch this. But on a recent episode of Moonshiners, <clears throat> I know I shouldn't watch it. <clears throat> an, old, an old country boy named Chico who had been in prison, decided to make moonshine on his own, though he knew that eventually it was going to mean a trip back to prison if he got caught. <clears throat> with a slightly altered vocabulary from what Chico actually said, I want to share with you what he said. He said, when you mess up bad, <clears throat> sometimes the only way to get by is to keep on messing up. Now that's human nature. And I will tell you this, he has human nature figured out. It's not the right thing, but it is the normal thing in some people's lives. They live in crazy situations, and they just soon stay in those crazy situations. They become the normal, and those around them expect their craziness to be the norm for their lives. In the community we read about today, there was this demon-possessed man that everybody got used to. Who is that <clears throat> naked man running over there through the tombs? Oh, <laughs> that guy's lived there for years. Don't pay any attention to him. He's all right. <clears throat> Just don't pay any attention to him. There are people that you've encountered for a long time who have crazy situations in their life. They don't really bother you anymore because you're accustomed to those crazy situations. In fact, in some of those crazy situations, people become familiar and comfortable with their circumstances. There, are, uh, there is a certain comfort in the familiar regardless of what the familiar may be. There's a comfort there. When missionaries go to the field, they have culture shock. After they have been there for many years, they have revolts, reverse culture shock when they come home. There's an amazing adaptability about us 
we become familiar with our surroundings. We sleep in a bad place so long <clears throat> that when we have the opportunity to sleep in a good place, we can't go to sleep. My friend who got out of prison just about a month ago, this coming Friday will be a month ago he got out of prison. He talked to me the next day and he said, I could hardly sleep last night. And I said, why? He said, because the room was dark and quiet. He had grown accustomed to sleeping with the light on. <clears throat> he had grown accustomed to people making a lot of noise and a lot of banging and yelling uh, <clears throat> during the night. And he couldn't sleep under the good situations because he had become familiar with the bad situations. How can we become familiar with situations like that? How is it that we can <clears throat> fall into an old norm that is really a crazy situation, but it becomes familiar to us? Uh, how is it <clears throat> that, that we can be accustomed to crazy people around us? Or people have real <clears throat> bad situations around us. I think a lot of times it's because that our paths are unaffected. We're just not bothered <clears throat> by those people. We are accustomed to them. We see starvation in other countries, but we don't see it around us. The tragedies of the third world are often the normality of the world in which we live. We have just become, <clears throat> we are just become familiar with them and and after all, they don't affect our walk of life. There's a, a commercial on, uh, for feeding children. And uh, if you, you give 50 cents a day toward this one organization, it makes a huge difference in a, charging, uh, or a, a starving child's life. <clears throat> now, we don't really think about that all that much. Because if you go to the nursery down there right now, and by the way, I'm so thankful to um, Sarah Kraft for implementing a new program for the safety and security of our children and uh, I know it's going to take a little getting used to for some of you but please understand that foremost in her mind and heart is the safety and security of your children and our children and my grandchildren and I appreciate that <clears throat> but when we go down there to the nursery we see some really uh, fat, happy, sassy kids. But there are a bunch of kids today right now, right now, probably as many as are fat and happy, there are some kids who are starving in parts of the world right now. But we don't see them. <clears throat> Their starvation is a tragedy to them, but it's kind of a normal path for our lives because we always are <clears throat> fed well and we know that they live somewhere else. I'm a true conservative in just about every area of life. I, uh, I don't talk a lot about politics from the pulpit. I used to. I don't as much anymore. But, but suffice it to say, I am a, a true conservative. However, I hope my conservative view is not because I don't want to deal with changes that need to be made in the lives of other people or changes that need to be made to help other people. Sometimes a change is warranted to help somebody else. I can't just fear a change because it's a change. The maniac met Jesus and all the demons left him, went into a herd of wild hogs and ran <clears throat> off a cliff to their demise. Now what happens next was more disturbing really uh, to the people of his community than when he ran around naked 
And for uh, a lack of time, I'm not going to read what I had planned to read, which is a, a reread of Luke 8, 33 uh, through 37. But <clears throat> here's what you know. You know that uh, this man who was naked and crazy was clothed and in his right mind. He went from the old normal and he developed a new normal. Now his new normal was so different from the old normal. When Jesus makes a radical change in your life, there's a new normal. No one knew this better than the maniac who was now clothed and in his right mind. He was free. He was ready to reenter society. But society wasn't ready for him to reenter. Society wasn't ready to make the adjustment. They couldn't stand the change. Things had changed in his life because of one single encounter with Jesus. Now, here's what we know that as today. We know that as being saved. We know that as being born again. And when that happens, a new normal comes to our life. We have an old normal in which we live, but when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, a new normal comes. You find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now we are beginning the year 2014. All of us have gotten a start on 2014. Next Sunday, school's back in session, and, and everybody is back from any kind of extended trips and and all of that kind of thing, and we'll kind of be back to the new normal for 2014. Now, there's going to be a change in your life, and there will be a change in the lives of some people around you. How will you adapt to the new normal? Not all changes are created equally, but for those that are positive, can we make the adjustment to embrace them? Can you embrace the new normal for your life if a positive change comes to you. I think you have to decide, is this new normal for better or for worse? Is this something that's good or is this something that's not so good? I, I'm sure that I've been a pastor here almost 22 years, so I'm sure I've told you this story probably more than once, but it really illustrates this. I had a, a family in my first church. Actually, it was a lady that came with her children to the, to the first church, and they lived just a she and her husband and the kids, her husband come. Uh, they, they lived just a block or so from the church and had a very uh, rough relationship. Um, she was always asking prayer for her husband. Her husband's name was Lonnie. She was always asking prayer for Lonnie because Lonnie was a drunk. Lonnie was a falling down, uh, couldn't stand on his own two feet, laid up in the bed most of the day, <coughs> card-carrying, drunk. And she requested prayer that, that the Holy Spirit of God would convict Lonnie and that Lonnie would come to know Jesus. Well, one Wednesday night, <coughs> we were getting ready to do our Bible study, and the husband showed up at the front door of the church, completely <coughs> wasted. Now, Lonnie was a big man. Lonnie was, was big like uh, Don Gowans that I mentioned earlier who was standing on the front row. Uh, Lonnie was a, <clears throat> a big man. And in Tennessee, we'd say that Lonnie was drunker than Cooter Brown. 
I mean, <clears throat> he was absolutely drunk. Um, he just was really in bad shape. But uh, he was ready to repent of all of his sins. And, and Lonnie came and he wanted to talk to the preacher. And uh, I was, of course, a very seasoned uh, pastor at the age of 25. And uh, <clears throat> Lonnie came in there and, and uh, Lonnie wanted to talk to me. Well, I said to a couple of my deacons, I said, Lonnie can't make a decision as to whether or not to sit down in a chair or fall on the floor. I said, the best thing to do is to take Lonnie in the back here and let's start trying to dry him out. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know anything about how to deal with a drunk, but I, I knew that coffee was sometimes involved. So they made coffee and they started pouring coffee down Lonnie's uh, throat. And <clears throat> I finished the Bible study and Lonnie was still drunk, and I said, more coffee, please, and, and they kept more coffee. And then somewhere around 10 or 11 o'clock, Lonnie got sober enough to respond to me in a way that I thought was fairly normal. And, and <clears throat> Lonnie uh, said that he really did want to change, and he really did want to get saved. So just prior to midnight, <clears throat> Lonnie invited Jesus Christ into his heart and life to be, to be a, saved, to be a Christian. Now, it was very, very late, but it was a drastic, a drastic uh, turn of events. Of course, his wife was up and at home when, when, uh, after he got saved, and I, I took Lonnie home, just about a block and a half from the church. I took Lonnie home, and, and we went into his house, and Lonnie showed me every bottle of whiskey and other kinds of liquor that he had in the house, every single one. And, and so he lined them up, and I said, okay, Lonnie. Let's pour them down the sink. And, uh, and I knew that Lonnie really, God had gotten a hold of his life. He didn't hesitate. <clears throat> he said, okay. And he would take a top off that, and he'd turn it upside down and, and pour <clears throat> that down the sink. And he just kept, uh, and he poured, and he poured, and everything there was gone. I mean, he poured out all of the alcohol that had, that had just really <clears throat> manipulated and mastered his life. After a few weeks of Lonnie beginning to, what I would say, grow in the Lord, <clears throat> I got a call in the middle of the night. And it was from Lonnie, and he and his wife <clears throat> had been in an argument. And he said, Preacher, we need you right now. And so at age 25, with my great wisdom, I <clears throat> went back to see Lonnie and his wife. And uh, when I got there, <clears throat> the husband was sitting on the couch rubbing his head. He was rubbing his head, and, uh, and I looked at his wife, and his wife, as soon as I walked in the door, she continued her string of cussing. It wasn't cursing. Cursing uses words that you're familiar with. <clears throat> cussing just makes up words and adds to them and, <clears throat> and so on. <clears throat> she was cussing like a sailor, actually like a marine. Uh, <clears throat> she was really letting it fly. And she told me, she looked at me right square in the eye, called me Brother Randy. She said, Brother Randy, I liked him better when he was a drunk. Very interesting. I think what had happened is he'd started speaking into her life a little bit. And they'd gotten into a big fight that night. And as a parting shot, she chased him out the front door 
and took the family Bible off of the coffee table, the big giant King James Version with lots of pictures in it, and hit him upside the head with the family Bible and knocked him down as he was going out the front door. Now let me tell you something. Here's the situation. His wife couldn't decide if the change in Lonnie was for better or for worse. What happened was that the change in Lonnie began to convict her of her own life. She was the spiritual rock in that home until Lonnie got saved. And when Lonnie got saved and he began to to grow, then it made her uncomfortable. And so she didn't like the new norm. Clearly the change in the maniac was for the better but was not embraced by the community around him. They feared the change more than they feared the crazy man. So sometimes when you're looking at the new normal, you have to be objective and say, is this better or worse? You also have to say this, is this comforting or is this troubling? As odd as it may seem, there are those who are such enemies of the gospel that when one close to them experiences the change in a new life, they are troubled by that. It bothers them. There's a fear that the change in someone will make unwelcome differences in their lives. Now, this happens sometimes in a, in a family. There'll be a husband and wife. Both of them are unsaved, and one of them gets saved. And that life begins to change drastically. And that changed life troubles the other person in the marriage. The new Christian either becomes too much to bear or the unsaved mate doesn't want to be a, a part of the positive change in that Christian's life. That happens a lot. Doesn't happen just once in a while. <clears throat> it's like my, my friend Lonnie and his wife, and I know his wife's name and I know their last name and I could give it to you, but you could also Google it. So, you know, there's, I'm not going to do that. But Lonnie Uh, had a drastic change, the kind of change that he thought that his wife would be praying for, but it wasn't what his wife wanted. You have to decide, is this a change for the better or worse? Is it comforting or troubling? Is it desirable or is it repugnant? Interesting synonym for repugnant. You know what a synonym for repugnant is? Swinish. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? Here's the challenge for all believers that we do not allow ourselves to become something repugnant to the spread of the gospel. We want to have a life that is desirable to those who know us as born-again believers. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. In Romans 14, 15, for if your brother is greed by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love by what you eat. And do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's what we want to do. We want to make sure that the change in our life is viewed as a positive and not as a negative. You say, well, Pastor Ray, what if, if they just can't stand to be around the new me because I really love the Lord? I understand that, and I appreciate that, and that's a very real thing. We've just talked about that. But sometimes they can't stand the new you because the new you is not really 
an honest representation of where you are. You become a little more <clears throat> preachy to people. Uh, it's, it's a better thing to live before people that you know and have known for a long time than to preach at people who will doubt the change until they really see the change in your life. And sometimes <clears throat> that's what, ha what happens. That which should be desirable <clears throat> is repugnant. So we've seen the old normal and the new normal. Let's talk for our final few minutes about <clears throat> the, the fear of change. What is it about change that makes us so afraid? Why would the change in someone else <clears throat> have an effect on your life? Well, there are a few things that can happen to us when uh, change takes place around us. Let's say that, that change around you happens. First thing you do is self-evaluation. How does that change in someone else affect your life? Your new clothes may make my old clothes look a little worse. Your decision <clears throat> to raise your children one way makes me evaluate the decisions that I have about mine. The new leaf that you turn over causes me to look at the old pages of my life in a different way. <clears throat> if you can make this change, shouldn't I make this change too? That's why we're afraid of change is because it causes us to evaluate ourselves. In fact, sometimes when somebody has had a drastic change, we have a way to protect ourselves by offering a congratulations and a little criticism of the change. I, I go back to my, my friend who was in prison. My friend who was in prison went from, I don't know, <clears throat> 260 pounds down to 165 pounds. I mean, and he, and he tried to do it. He tried to lose weight. He said, you know, there's not much good that can happen while I'm in here, but maybe I can lose weight. And that guy has lost a lot of weight. But immediately, <clears throat> we said, well, I wouldn't want to do it that way. And we wouldn't. None of us would want to go to prison to lose weight. <clears throat> wouldn't want to do it that way. But you know what else? Part of saying that is an insulation against self-evaluation. It's unsettling to think that we might need to make a change in our own lives. But God uses the change in others to bring about change in us. There often we're afraid of this. We evaluate ourselves, but still we don't want to change. Why are we so afraid? Self-preservation. We're afraid that we're going to have to evaluate ourselves, but if we do decide to evaluate ourselves, sometimes we fear change because we want to preserve who we are. <clears throat> Isn't it possible that many of us are living in survival mode instead of the abundant mode of life? There are a lot of people who live just in survival. They're not living abundant. Do we fear the change because we don't want to be moved from our place of comfort? Last week, I, I, I can't remember that. I think it was Friday. Friday, I, I was supposed to get up and go work out at Goals, which I normally do on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It was very early. The alarm went off. And I did get up. And I went to the thermostat in the hallway. The thermostat in the hallway tells you the temperature in the house and the temperature outside the house. I saw the temperature outside the house. And I thought about 
that that spot had not yet cooled down that I'd gotten up from. <clears throat> so I went back to that spot that I had not yet gotten, that I'd just gotten up from and pulled the covers back over and said, it's better for me to preserve this spot than to go out there in the cold this morning. <clears throat> That's the way we live. When our lives are challenged, it is not a time, it's usually a time to, of resistance, but we should reevaluate and, and embrace those things. Sometimes the reason that, that we are afraid of change is we're in self-denial. I love the example of the unexpected mirror. I've used it so many times, you're tired of it. But you, it's just Christmas season, and all of us walk through Dillard's or Belk or someplace, and you, you walk past that three-way mirror, and you got an unexpected look of yourself, and you thought you were a little bit critical of the person that you saw. And then you realize it was you, and you say, oh, wait, let me square myself back up, you know. We're in self-denial about who we are. Are you afraid of the new year because of some changes that might come? Are you just afraid? Are you afraid of, of the new life because you fear you might have to make some changes in your life if you trust Christ? Are you afraid of really selling out to God because you don't quite know what that could mean for your life? I want to bring this message to a close by talking about facing our changes. I'll be the first to admit that change, all changes are not created equal. <clears throat> the change in the moral structure of our society is a blight on our children and our grandchildren. I know what I lived up, uh, was raised up with. I know what my children are involved in now in their lives and what they face every day. And I look at my grandchildren and think to myself, oh me, what world will they be raised in? Here's, here's a couple of things to do. First of all, evaluate. We really ought to ask our question, is ourselves a question, is this better or worse? Is this change better or worse for me? Sometimes the change is uncomfortable, but it's, it's better. I remember the discomfort of getting my first desktop computer. I, uh, I was just uncomfortable with it. But there was a guy in my church, his name was Thor, like T-H-O-R, the god Thor. His name was Thor Carden. And uh, Thor came to me and he said, Pastor, you need to get a, uh, a personal computer. And I said, I don't know. He said, I don't understand that stuff. He said, I'll, I'll teach it to you. I said, no, I don't, I don't really. He said, come on, get you a computer and I'll show you how to do it. So he got me a computer. And I did learn. And the, the world changed for me because I decided to evaluate and to learn. I evaluated this change. Is this change good? Some people think it's a, the change is not good. Well, this is just the beginning of the Antichrist. I understand. Let's use the devil's stuff until we go to heaven. Amen? <clears throat> it's easy. It's very simple. Evaluate and then appreciate. One of the greatest changes for me has been watching my sons become men. My son Nathan is the father of two sons. My son Matthew is a police officer. Matthew's not married. He was married, but his wife uh, divorced him. Some of you know that. Some of you don't. Heartbreaking for him and for me and for all of us. Then my youngest son, Paul, who is a, uh, in banking over in 
Jacksonville. They're expecting their first child in May. I, uh, I've watched them and saw how they have changed. And I have to appreciate it. I told Jan the other day, I said, you know, Jan, I don't like going from this giving permission to asking permission thing. I just don't like it. And Nathan, you're here and you need to hear this. I, I don't like calling up and saying, hey, could uh, Bradford come over for a while or maybe could we see the boys? I don't like that because that is not how my relationship with them has been. My relationship with them has been, hey, I'm coming over. Well, we're getting ready to go out. Stay. Well, the boys don't really feel good. Tell them to snap out of it. I'm coming. I don't really do that. But, but, I, but I have to appreciate that. I have to appreciate who they've become. And all of that was, was a change. And I would encourage you that if you have the fear of change, you, you should face it by evaluating the change and then <clears throat> appreciating it. If it's good, God would have you to appreciate and not resent the changes. And then finally celebrate it. In 1523, an English animal trainer named John Fitzherbert said, The dog must be trained when he is a whelp, or else it will not be trained, for it is hard to make an old dog find a new scent. We change that to say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Sounds like it's really true. Some of you watch Mythbusters on the Discovery Channel, and they take on these myths. So, myths, so they decided to take on the myth that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And they found two Alaskan uh, Malamutes and, who are known for their stubbornness and two seven-year-olds, Bobo and Cece, and uh, they were evaluated, uh, they were the equivalent to a couple, excuse me, about 50 years of age. And after four days of training, Bobo and, and Cece proved Fitzherbert's uh, theory flat wrong. Each could heal, sit, lie down, stay, and shake upon command from the two men on Mythbusters, though they had never learned that before. Don't be afraid of the change. So, well, I'm too old. No, you're not. You're not too old. You can change. In fact, make some changes in your life. For some of you, that's a change in eternity. You are not certain that if you died, you'd go to heaven. We'll change that eternity by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Change your outlook. I fall into the category of getting older. And here's what I know. I know that us older people can get a pretty nasty outlook on things. Man, I just don't like that. Back when I was a boy. And I, you know what? Some changes I don't like either, but there's some that are good. They're not bad. There's some that are good. 
Change your disciplines. Change your paths. Evaluate and appreciate and celebrate the changes that make us more like Jesus and conform to His You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.